0: Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Titus 3, particularly in verses 10 and 11. Well, we see there that the, that the church was called, indeed Titus was called, to reject the factious man. In the 1990s, uh, Gary Ezzo developed and wrote several books and resources to help parents raise their children. If you're old enough to remember some of those, uh, you, you might be familiar with some of the titles. Um, His church-based program was called Growing Kids God's Way. And he had a secular book uh, called On Becoming Baby Wise. So they they may still be in print. I I did not check that. But they were very popular at the time. And and indeed, there are some helpful things within those books. Um, Some of the principles were helpful. Some were biblical. But some of the principles were more just of Gary personal preferences than true biblical principles. For example, Gary portrayed the feeding of infants, um, uh, or portrayed the the true biblical practice of feeding infants to be something you do on a schedule and not letting your child do demand feeding. So it got down to that kind of nitty-gritty type of, of thing. But the problem is that portraying preferences and convictions as the biblical way, when there's little to no support for that, is a great way to bring division within a church. And that's what happened. And at least some of the churches that used his material, I, I just know of a few. And then add to that, that Gariezo's material encouraged parents to isolate their children from other children whose parents weren't using his materials. So they were the kind of the, you don't want your children to be corrupted by the other children. And that was going on even within churches. So it caused further division within local churches. So a man teaching things like this, which result in divisions within local churches, needs to be warned and rejected if he does not repent. That's not fun stuff. But that's what we find commanded in Titus 3, verses 10 to 11. Remember the the larger context here. Titus 3, verses 8 to 11, as we looked at that, gives us a summary of of how God wants us to live in light of his abundant grace, which he poured upon us. We are to pursue those things which are good and profitable, uh, namely speaking confidently about what God has done for us and being careful to engage in good deeds. We are to avoid those things which are worthless and unprofitable, namely foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, and disputes about the law. And then what we'll see today, we are to reject the factious man, which is what we need to look at because not everybody does listen to to the scriptures. Not everybody avoids the things which are worthless and unprofitable, and so some will need warnings and others will need to be rejected. So in verses 10 to 11, Paul uh, Titus 3, Paul provides... Uh, Titus, an essential process for dealing with divisive people who refuse to listen to the elders so that the church is protected and really stays focused on engaging in good deeds. So it's, it's twofold. It's a protection of the church, but also helping us not get distracted with other things. But before we go further, let's read the text together. Titus 3, beginning at verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. So this morning we are looking at the process of dealing with a factious man. The first thing that we need to realize is that there are people like this that will come among, amongst us. Uh, some of us might even, a um, person like this might even come up within our own ranks. So the, the first thing we need to see is that, that Paul identifies a, a factious man that needs to be dealt with and And the reality is that factious people will always be among us to one extent or another, because we live in a, a fallen world and and there are genuine believers who are disobedient, and then there are false believers who um, just are like uh, tares among the wheat of the church. There are always those people who think that they know better than everyone else they they think that the rules are given to everyone else, not to them. They think that they know better than the elders of a local church. They think it is their place to correct the godly, biblically qualified men whom God has made to be overseers and shepherds of the church. They see what they think is an essential area of doctrine or practice of theology that has been overlooked, and they begin pushing their ideas on everyone, including the elders. And this becomes very divisive. Um, let me give you just a little illustration of this. You you probably have seen this in the, in the, in other churches um, in church history as as Lord has, as you participated with other churches. You've seen these divisive people, but um, we have had people like this at least visit us. Uh, I am grateful that our church is a is a very friendly church, a welcoming church, welcoming visitors who want to worship us, wor- worship with us, um, even if it's just for a, a Sunday. Uh, they come to worship with a church that is faithful to the scriptures, and we're thankful uh, that they join us. But sometimes people come to our church with an, an agenda. They come to our worship service with an agenda to, to correct or point out some point of doctrine or practice that they disagree with. One couple, uh, a number of years ago, came to our church, and and the man seemed fairly well grounded, but... After the service, he spent nearly the whole fellowship time engaged with me, trying to convince me that the king james version uh, the King James version of the Bible was the only trustworthy and reliable version of the Bible, and that all the other versions have been uh, corrupted or are corrupted. He came with an agenda he was trying to he wasn't asking questions he was coming to school me on what he thought were the reasons. Um, you know, why we should be using the King James Version Bible. So if you use the King James Version Bible, it's a reliable translation of the Bible. And I would, if you can understand the old English, then use it. Um, So I'm not speaking against the King James Version of the Bible, just against the divisiveness of this man who came in with an agenda to try to change the church. And he's not alone in that. Many people, when they come to a church, want to try and change the doctrine. They think the church should change the doctrine around them rather than them conforming to the doctrine of the church. People like this can be very divisive. And they could be very damaging to a local church. They're like corrosive chemicals on metal. They're like bleach on your skin. I don't know if you've worked with bleach and never gotten some on your skin accidentally. And it's, it's, you know weren't sure that it was there, and you felt the burn and sting later of it. So that's what divisive people are like to a to a church. Has to be they have to be removed if they don't repent. So Paul describes a person like this as a factious man. He he foresees the fact that not everybody will listen to verse nine. Avoid these foolish controversies and those things that he told us to the worthless uh, things that he told us to to um, to avoid. So. He identifies as factious man. What is a factious man? How should we define a factious man? When does someone become factious? Well, factious is a translation of, of a Greek adjective that um, is, uh, is hereticos. Hereticos. What does that sound like? Heretic, right? And that's where we derive our word heretic from so in in some places, the word even in the Bible is translated as heretical or or heretic and when we hear the word "heretic," we immediately jump to the issue of of doctrine and 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 we may think of someone who teaches things contrary to the scripture that are so serious that it jeopardizes whether they're whether they even have salvation or not but that kind of more specialized or intensified meaning of the word heretic developed later in the second century, so we shouldn't read that particularly back into this text because this text was written before that that more intensified, specialized meaning of the word heretic. Um, The the word heresy, um, as one New Testament scholar points out, is is strictly the choice of an opinion contrary to that usually received and and thence transferred to the body of those who profess such opinions and therefore a sect. So it is it's, it, at its core, it is just holding a different belief than the group that you belong to. At, at, its, at its essence, even if you remove it out of a, a religious context, so if you um, you know believe everything you're being told by our government about COVID, then you're in you're in line, you're orthodox. But if you don't believe what our government is telling you about COVID, then you are a heretic. Right. So that's how the word is used in a more generic standpoint, not just in a religious standpoint, because you're outside the bounds of what they define as the norm. Now, John MacArthur adds that that the noun heresy means self-designed religious lies, which lead to division and faction. And here we're really narrowing in on the religious understanding of the biblical understanding of this word. It, it it points out a a self-designed religious lie, which leads to division, leads to divisions and factions. And we see this word used in, in several places. I just want to point out a couple of them. In 1 Corinthians 11:19, the word is used with the translation of factions. I'll just read that to you. And I will begin at verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 11. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions. That's the word schisma, from which we get, get schism or division. In there, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it, for there must be factions, and that's where the uh, heresis comes in. The her, the word same word we're looking at now, heretic. Um, for there must be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For your, for your, in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you this? I will not praise you. I just kind of read some of the larger context to help you see some of the, the divisions that were within the church of Corinth. And and that's what he's talking about, this, this factious. There are factions that created divisions. Um, in Galatians uh, 5.20, listing the deeds of the flesh, it's there Paul says that the deeds of the flesh are evident, and he says there that they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. That's the same Greek word. So a factious man is someone who is, who is living out the, the deeds of the flesh, not walking with the spirit. So understand the main idea behind the noun heresy or translated in in um uh, as as factious in in titus it is is a division or a faction a sect if you will uh thus Paul, when Paul uses the related adjective that he uses here in in titus three ten when he used the word factious, he wants us to understand that the heretical person is someone who causes divisions or factions so that that that's really key, because sometimes Christians who want to be biblical, who want to be Bereans can become so critical of one another that you you bite and devour one another, and we have to be careful not to do that, exercising love and grace. so how do you know when a person is factious and needs to be deal with dealt with, and when when there's just room for growth in the faith and discussion, and the issue is when there are divisions, if it's creating a division within the church. A little group of people who won't associate with the others or 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 uh talk badly about the others or look down upon the others that's a problem that needs to be dealt with so understand that that that's why the uh, translators in, of Titus use the word factious and not uh like heretic or heretical in that particular place the the emphasis is on the the results of what's going on or the results of their action not not necessarily what they believe. That's true that what they believe then flows into their actions, but the emphasis here is on the action, is on the result really, that of creating division within a local church. A factious person has a different opinion not based on the scriptures and the apostles' teaching that is causing divisions. Again, we're not talking about about, um, legitimate debate about uh, passages of scripture. We're talking about things that, that Paul tells Titus to avoid these foolish controversies, the the uh, opinions and um, the, the opinions elevated to the place of biblical precept. Of course, people won't say that, but that's generally what, what is going on. Um, one, one crucial identifier of a, of a mark of a factious person is that he will cause these divisions. And those divisions come from what he's believing. Um, again, not necessarily tied to scripture he will he will tie what he's saying to scripture but if you look at it it's not it's not legitimate it's not there or he's reading in the white places uh, of scripture um, which which is is okay to to do that as long as you don't elevate it to the same level of scripture sometimes i'll do that i'll conjecture something and say well this is in the white white you know places in your bible meaning it's just my opinion that's all it is it doesn't carry any weight weight of scripture. And the reason that Paul tells Titus to to deal with a factious man is that the, the unity of a local church is vital to its health, to its growth, to its faithfulness, and its witness of Christ to a lost and dying world. Have you ever known a divisive church, perhaps you've been part of one, where people are joyful, where they grow spiritually, where they're eagerly and faithfully evangelized in the community around them? What happens? What happens is what, Scripture warns us about, be careful lest you bite and devour one another. That's that's not healthy. That's a caustic church, not a healthy church. Divisiveness tends to kill all of the good things the Lord calls us to do. And it's one of Satan's strategies uh, to send divisive people into churches. And if he can't do that or alongside that, he will trip up genuine believers within the church to walk in the flesh leading to divisions within the church. So we, we, we get a glimpse of the destructive and devastating impact of, of these factious men um, in Titus one eleven, where there we're told that, that they are, must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they, they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So they were, they were really just ripping apart uh, families. The division was even at the family level, and if it's at the family level, for sure it was at the church level as well. As we'll see in a moment, the divisive person is choosing to be factious. This isn't something accidental. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert notes that the word factious essentially characterize what is a self-chosen opinion or viewpoint because of their insistence on their opinions devoid of a true scriptural basis. The dissidents stir up divisions. It's a self-chosen viewpoint point of view that they're choosing to stick to and and thus causes divisions to emphasize the self the self-chosen path of the factious man listen to how another commentator explains this how he describes a factious man he said the factious man is an opinionative propagandist who promotes dissension by his pertinacity a lot of words there but I thought it was good. He's an opinionated propagandist that's tenaciously holding to his own opinion as if it were scripture. The factious man is so tenacious about his opinions that he only thinks of promoting himself and his opinions. He doesn't think about others. He certainly doesn't think about the, the health and growth of the church. John MacArthur warns that the factious person will not submit to the word or to godly leaders in the church He is a law to himself and has no concern for spiritual spiritual truth or unity. Factious people will sooner or later show up in every church. It's not a matter of if, but, but when. And the church elders need to be on guard for factious people and to stand guard diligently and lovingly as shepherds. So when a factious person is identified, what does Paul tell Titus to do? Well, first, the factious man must be warned. The factious man must be warned. Paul instructs Titus to give the factious man a warning. And when a factious man's identified, he he must be warned. This means Titus must give the man a admonition. I'm using factious man just to use biblical terminology, but it could be a factious woman as well. So um, we're just picking on the guys today, but understand that it applies to to women as well, right? Um, So Titus is to give the man an admonition to turn turn around to change the course of action or to change what he what he believes uh, to turn away from the unhealthy belief to a healthy belief the, the word warning that is used here is a translation of, of, a, of a Greek now new thesa uh, common in biblical counseling training it conveys the idea of counseling that of counseling that addresses the mind right? so Paul uses the the verb form of this and Colossians one twenty eight and 3.16, I'm going to read those to help us understand the instructive nature of the warning that, that, that Titus uh, is called to do. Uh, Colossians one twenty eight says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, let, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In both those texts, the the, the verb form of this word "warn" is is uh, the word "admonish," and, and then Paul uses the noun form in First Corinthians ten, eleven, and Ephesians six, four. I'll just read those to you as well. Um, hey, hey, actually, turn to First Corinthians uh, ten. I want to probably helpful if you see this. 1 Corinthians 10. And I particularly want you to, to pay attention to verse 11, but I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. I mean, sorry, 16. I'm not going to read backwards. I'm reading at verse 6. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. Now notice verse 11. Now these things happen to them as an example and they were written for our instruction. We are to learn from their example. They disobeyed and were punished. There are several examples where they disobeyed and were punished. Disobeyed and punished. That is instruction, but it's instruction that's more of a warning nature. Right? So notice that that instruction, admonishing, carries instruction, but it also carries the idea of warning us not to follow in their footsteps so these verses the, uh, that we've looked at looking at the verb and the noun help us to understand that that giving and receiving admonition is part of the god-ordained process of sanctification one one i skipped over i want to read to you is is found in ephesians 6 4 fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord the discipline and instruction same word there but it carries the idea of informing the mind, but also warning, in that case, fathers warning their children uh, against false beliefs, false practices, uh, going down the wrong path, so to speak. So there was that that admonition giving. So again, it's instruction, um, it's an instructive warning, maybe is the best way to put it, an instructive warning. The factious man needs to be warned in a in a redemptive way, in a redemptive way. The warning that Titus is to give the factious man is not to be done to condemn, but to instruct. And to instruct in the right way and warn against the wrong way. The man is headed toward rejection if he continues his present course. So he needs to be warned. And he needs to be warned in a, in a way that's conducive to help him turn from his, his errant ways. The warning should be based on God's word, not on conjecture, opinion, or personal preference. After all, that's the, his basis for pursuing all these things that cause the division in the first place. So the warning is to be based on, on God's word is to be objective. The warning should be kind and gentle. Even it needs to be firm. There, there's a spirit of gentleness that a pastor needs to have when he is warning someone in the church. The needed approach is, is, is described for us in Second 2 Timothy 2.25. I'll just read that uh, to you, uh, beginning early at, at verse uh, 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the full knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So the purpose of the warning is to turn the guy around, not to condemn him. That that spiritual work must be done in the Spirit's way. That spiritual work must be done with the fruit of the Spirit, not according to the deeds of the flesh. You know, so often, uh, this type of action of warning and and even rejecting someone is done in a, in a venomous way. Is done in a caustic way that if an outsider were looking at it, they would just say, "Well, you know, those those people have a really really hate this guy." That that's the wrong way to go about it. You know, factious people can be very frustrating. Um, the The ire of a shepherd can easily be raised far too quickly if he's not proceeding carefully with prayer and dependence upon God and and walking according to the Spirit. But what I'm talking about is is really just the idea of of how you even correct your own children. How effective are your words when you scold, belittle, berate, or otherwise verbally convey your, your earthly displeasure for your child's misbehavior? how well do they respond when you say the right thing but in all the wrong ways the body language the tone of voice all of that doesn't convey love and kindness at all it's usually not very well received, even if it's all true well a warning given in the wrong way can totally hamstring our efforts and significantly dampen any good that could come of the warning and so we must be careful and you know titus uh is not told uh, that he, he understands that from having served with Paul, having been with Paul so much. So these these things are, are supporting and undergirding the whole process of the warning that Titus is called to do. So the factious man is to be warned. In fact, he's to be warned repeatedly. And it shows you the patience of God here. The factious man is to be warned repeatedly. If the factious man listens to your first warning, to the first warning, there's nothing further to do. The, the, the whole thing is dropped right there. We, all we are left to do is to praise the Lord uh, for allowing this man to be teachable and instructable. A man who repents and turns away from, a, from his factious ways is no longer factious. So that, that description and title no longer fits him and he is uh, free to enjoy the life and ministry of a local church. He's no longer a danger to himself or to the local church. And it's really just evidence of God working in his life to turn him from his um, corrupt ways. But if the factious man does not listen to the first warning, he is to be given a second warning. And the second warning should look and sound much like the first one. And as we'll see in a moment, this this text in Titus is is relatively well aligned with the process of church discipline outlined in uh, Matthew 18. And thus it's likely that the second warning would be accompanied by witnesses, uh, one or two others, that are brought in just to testify of how the man responds to the warning. If the man re- listens to the second warning, then you have won, uh, won your brother. And again, you can just praise the Lord that that he's used his word and his Holy Spirit to turn this man from his factious ways. Now, Paul gives Titus just kind of the outline or uh, the key steps, of the process that he is to follow, he, and he says nothing about the amount of time between the first and second warning, or even the second warning and what we'll get to in a moment. The timing for that is left to Titus's discretion, to, to the discretion of the elders of a local church, and that the timing is somewhat dependent on the danger of the situation. The greater the threat to the local church, the shorter the time should be between the first and second warning or the second warning and his rejection so the the more the more division that is being caused within a church will cause leaders of a church, shepherds of a church to respond quicker, and so these, the timing may look different in different circumstances, but shepherds must never use patience as a cover or an excuse not to actually obey the final step in the process should the factious man not listen to his first and second warning. So Paul instructs that after a first and a second warning, if the factious man continues to be factious, he must be rejected. What does this rejection of a factious man look like? Well, Paul says if the, if the man refuses to listen to a first and second warning, Titus must reject the man. What does he mean, reject the man? The idea is that he, um, the idea is that he be dismissed from the fellowship of the local church. To reject a person means to have nothing to do with him. The word rejection that is used in Titus three ten means to dismiss, uh, to put out. The the word is also used by Paul in First Timothy four seven and Second 2 Timothy two twenty three. Just listen to those. First Timothy four seven says, "But have nothing to do with worldly fables." fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The idea there is to have nothing to do with. So when when Paul says to Titus to reject the man, that is, you're to have nothing to do with him. Um, And by application, the church is to have nothing to do with him. In 2 Timothy 2.23, the same word is used and translated this way, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. So the idea there being that you're refusing the fellowship of the local church to the person who proves himself to be continuously divisive or continuing in a divisive way. Titus is to reject the man. And we are to refuse to fellowship with a factious man. Not one that we just deem factious, but but this is is through an official church process where the man has been deemed to be factious and he is uh, brought forward Uh, to the church as being someone that they, uh, they need to reject as well. Even in this step, we need to do it with an attempt to be redemptive. I mean, that's the whole process here. One of the main purposes of church discipline is to be redemptive. We are to do this soberly, prayerfully, kindly, and lovingly. We must continue to exhibit all the fruits of the Spirit, even when rejecting a factious man. Now, for some of, in our day, especially um, those of the church at large, rejecting a factious man is, is mean-spirited or it's, it's unloving to put someone out. And if we rejected the man based on our own opinions, I'd have to agree with that assessment. You know, if it's just our own opinions that put him out, yeah, that would be mean. But in this case, in the case of a factious man, to, to put him out of fellowship with a local church to not put him out of the fellowship of the local church would be disobedience to God and a demonstration of loving the things of the world more than we love God That's what it comes down to. Will we love the world or will we love god and we, you cannot say that you love God if you aren't obedient to his word. Now, none of us are obedient perfectly, so we're not we're not talking about it we're talking about the trajectory of our lives but But there are far too many churches who refuse to obey the word of God because they're so concerned about what other people might think about them. Now, listen to how one commentator explains the connection between truth and love that we need to have in this whole process. He says, we cannot deny the ultimate need to defend church members and doctrine from perhaps well-meaning and earnest but sadly mistaken challengers to dominical, that is, the Lord, and apostolic teaching. For this protection, strong measures can be required, which can always be interpreted as draconian by those who side with the divisive or by outside observers who do not identify with the zeal for truth reflected in canonical writings and shared by apostolic leaders commissioned by Jesus. Without that truth, the love that is the highest goal of Christian expression cannot flourish either. So for the sake of love, we can't abandon truth. And for the sake of truth we can't abandon love we must have both of these through this whole process and As I mentioned earlier these instructions and we find in Titus generally follow the instructions for church discipline that we find in Matthew 18 so I'll have you turn to that just so you can follow along with me Matthew 18 and beginning at look beginning at verse 15 Let me just read that text to for us, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three, if two of you agree on earth about anything, that that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, the last section is not about prayer. It's in the context of church church discipline. Now, we won't take time to dig into the details of Matthew 18, but I just want to outline that, that there Jesus provides four, what I see is four steps. Some churches might see three, but, but I think uh, four does better justice to the text. Step one, go to your brother in private. If you see your brother sinning, go to him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Um, You know, and keep in mind, that's just going to your brother. That's not going to everybody else in the church and gossiping about him. Otherwise you might need to be confronted for your gossiping about it. So it's just you privately, discreetly, going to your brother and um, lovingly confronting his sin. And again, if he if he listens, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take a witness and confront your brother in love, again, about his sin. And again, if he, he listens, then you've won your brother. The process stops right there. And there are two or three witnesses here, not necessarily witnesses to his original sin, but witnesses to his response. How is he responding to that? Again, so that, you know, that, that one person can't take advantage of another person. It's by the mouth of two or three witnesses that things are confirmed. Step three is to tell it to the church. What's going on at this stage? Well, at this juncture of the process, the whole church is being called to call this man to repentance. So before it was one person. Second step, one person with a couple witnesses. Third step, the whole church. The whole church is being called. The person isn't disfellowship. But he's being called to repentance. He's being called to turn from his sin, in order uh, that he might honor the Lord and be restored to full full fellowship. Step four: if He refuses to listen. Put him out of the church. The person must be defellowshipped, which, which is why they use, uh, Jesus uses the description: "Let him be as a gentile or tax collector," because a gentile or tax collector wouldn't be usually inside the, the synagogue. They're going to be. They're not even going to be allowed in there. They be put out. Um, now, again, this isn't to be done with any kind of unkindness, but he is to be put out. God has designed the process of church discipline not to be cruel, but to maximize social pressure on a person to turn from their sin. Okay? So turning from the sin is a spiritual work, but you cooperate with that as a church when we have to call somebody to repentance. And that's what that's what God has designed. And it's the whole church. The, the church leaders lead in this, they they and, and putting the person out, but the whole church is needed to make it effective. So if if so, if someone is disfellowshipped, you shouldn't have a meal with them. Why having a meal with them is going to be allowing them to to enjoy some of the fellowship of the church, even if it's just your own private private setting. So, you know, you want to cooperate with whatever work God's doing in the man's life. You know, at times God puts a lot of pressure on people so that they will repent from their sins or to turn from their ways. So, and again, as, as we saw in Titus and Matthew 18, no timing is given. Um, these things cannot be rushed, and particularly in a case or sin that's not necessarily divisive to the church. As long as it's being dealt with, the elders are dealing with it, it can progress at, at whatever pace is needed. We, we need to exercise lots of patience um, and, and even sometimes uh, just, just going to people again and again and getting multiple people to go to them but it does need to be dealt with eventually. If the person doesn't respond, they need to be put out. Now notice that these instructions in Titus chapter 3 that are that, uh, were, were given uh, to Titus uh, are are really to be led by church leadership. So whether you're talking about Matthew 18 or we're talking about the instructions in Titus, this isn't something that each one of you can carry out on each other. Right? So a lot of times um, the church can, can turn on each other And you see this sometimes in legalistic churches um, where it's just a very caustic environment where everybody's correcting everybody else. Now, I I will step back from that just a little bit to say that the process of church discipline, if we're doing it biblically, is going to be happening in our church all the time. And you say, what? Yeah, that first step. None of us are perfect, and we all need each other. So we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to address sinful tendencies in our lives that we won't, don't see because we're blind sometimes to our own sin. We need that. That's part of the process of sanctification. So that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So it's It's part of the life of a local church that we're lovingly uh, admonishing one another, warning one another. And that's what it is. You, you see your brother... Doing something you think is is sinful, take him to uh, confront, lovingly confront him about it. Take them to Scripture about it, and and just pray. And, and most of the time, things resolve there because the person wants to be obedient to Scripture. So that kind of thing is something that to, should be going on in a healthy church, um, you know, continuously. But what we what I'm saying is, it's not your responsibility to carry out your church discipline. As an individual member, that's something that church leadership um, needs to lead in and need to agree on and work through on whether someone is factious, warning them and uh, putting them out. You may be called to help provide um, some evidence. You may be called to help provide information. So an elders deal with something like this they will need to gather all the facts that they can before they make any kind of judgment. So your participation in that, you may have heard conversations or been part of conversations or part of somebody teaching something that, that they will need you to help them understand what was taught or what was said. So you participate in it from that sense and you participate in, in that, in that warning or even in that, certainly in the rejection, if it comes to that and putting the man out of the church. Um, so elders need the support of the entire church through this process it's not again not an easy process or a fun process but if we love our lord it's a process that we must do and i would say as a shepherd if if i love you if i love the church and i do it's a process i have to do because it's a protective process and it's a redemptive process for the one in sin um, as I've told some of you, and I'll just make mention of again, if, if I were to fall in sin, I wouldn't want you to ignore that fact. Ignoring that fact would mean you don't love me. Coming after me to try to rescue me would mean that you love me. So when I, as your shepherd, do that, or another brother or sister in Christ does that, receive it as someone who's on a rescue mission. Now, lots of times we don't see our own sin, or we become defensive, and we have to guard against those things. But but that's the that's the emphasis on this is redemptive it's is to care for that person to try to draw them to back to be obedient to the scriptures and to love our Lord. The fact that many if not the majority of churches today do not practice the very church discipline the Lord Jesus commands of his church are are condemning judgments against them I mean, just think about that I mean I didn't even See church discipline or hear it talked about until I went to seminary and was part of Grace Community Church. Outward, John MacArthur is pastor. Was that because our churches are are holier, more righteous, don't have sin, don't have stubborn sinners? No, it's because it's because the churches are unwilling to follow this process. And lots of times what ends up happening is the pastor is unwilling to deal with it, so he just sends people to counseling. You know, counseling. Okay? So I go to see some um, so-called biblical counselor, or Christian counselor, and the pastor is glad to have that burden off his back, and he just moves on with his regular ministry, and life goes on, and everybody knows there's sin within the church, uh, but it just kind of is the white elephant in the room that nobody talks about. that doesn't honor God at all. If we want to honor God, and we do, we must be a church that is willing to obey our Lord in the process of church discipline to to warn and to put out, even to reject the factious man, if that's what it comes to. So remember that that Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, is writing Titus. So go back to Titus, and we're almost done, but not yet with... uh, what we need to see from Titus three. Look particularly we need particularly look at verse eleven. Paul, and again he was moved by the Holy Spirit when he wrote this, provides a, a kind of a counterbalance to the argument that rejection of the factious man is unjustified. You know, someone in our day and age might say, well that's that's just unkind, it's unjustified. But but in verse eleven, Paul provides us with three reasons why the man's rejection is just why the church is right for putting the man out of the church. That is, a factious man warrants being rejected. Um, Remember the goals for church discipline, which Paul doesn't deal with at all in this context because Titus would have already understood this. The goals for church discipline, very briefly, are just to to rescue and restore the sinning member, or in this case, the factious brother, Church discipline is a tool to protect the church, because if sin is left undealt with, it spreads like yeast within a lump of dough. It just it just spreads like gangrene. It's all over. It has to be cut out. It's um, from from within a church and dealt with. Uh, and church discipline also protects the local church from false teachers. So these are all these purposes are interwoven in the, into the the reason why God um, commands us to carry out church discipline. Again. Titus doesn't, uh, isn't told about these things, but he would have certainly understood them um, because Paul doesn't mention it here. He would, have, he would have heard Paul teach on this elsewhere. But in, in dealing with the whole issue of whether a man's rejection is just or not, Paul provides three reasons. The first one is found there in the beginning of verse uh, 11. Um, he says, knowing that uh, such a man, that is that factious man, is perverted. He's perverted. Now, the word perverted comes from a word that means that means to turn. The base word is is basically to turn. It can be used literally to talk about turning your cheek if somebody strikes you on one side of the cheek. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Right. So that's the, that's the that's the word. But it's also used metaphorically to turn in a spiritual sense. It's used to speak about conversion in Matthew eighteen three and John twelve forty. Won't take time to look at that right now. The word in Titus is that base word for turn with a prefix on it. And and the prefix changes the the meaning slightly. In this case, the meaning is to turn something inside out. To turn inside out. So Paul is saying this man is all turned inside out. Not physically, so he's using a metaphorical sense. He's all turned inside out in his thinking. In other words, that he is perverted in his thinking. We, we get a good understanding of what the Greek word uh, perverted means by looking at the Septuagint. So sometimes if a Greek word isn't used in other places in, in the Greek New Testament, uh, we can look to the Greek Old Testament, so that's the translation of the Greek we call it Septuagint, to see how the word is used there. And the term is used in, in Deuteronomy 32.20, and I'll just read a little bit of this for you so you can get the idea of, of this word perverted. So, so Deuteronomy 32 is the song of Moses. He's praising God. And at the same time, he's recounting the kind of history of Israel. And let's jump in reading at verse 18. So speaking to the people, Moses says, You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. He said, then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. Right, so that last phrase, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. So in the Greek Septuagint, the same Greek word again. The Septuagint is a translation; it's not inspired, but it helps us to understand how words, uh, the meaning of words, and how the words are used. So there. The word is used in, in really uh, in a parallel sense to people who are unfaithful. The perverse generation is compared to sons in whom there is no faithfulness. So that, that's what Paul is, is pointing at when he's talking about perverted. It's someone who is unfaithful. Unfaithful to what? Unfaithful to the apostles' teaching, unfaithful to the scriptures. Um, and the way that Paul talks about this, this perversion, the man is perverted, it could be that the man has been perverted by someone else or he has perverted himself, but in any case he is held responsible for being perverted the The uh, George Knight, as uh, a commentator uh, says this he says in either case, the person has moved away from the apostolic message by choice. It's his choosing. he chose either to corrupt himself or chose to be uh, corrupted. And then add to that the fact that the man's perversion, again, the way that Paul writes this, that he is perverted, it's a settled state, So without intervention, he's going to continue in his perverted uh, state, in his factious state. So So the church is justified in rejecting him because the man is perverted. He's become perverted. Look at the second reason that we're given in verse 11. He is sinning. This man is sinning. Uh, Titus is justified in rejecting the factious man because he is sinning and refuses to repent. The word sin here is a general word for sin that is used in many other places of Scripture. It carries the idea of missing the mark. Um, So intermixed with the idea that the man is perverted, we need to understand that this man's sin is not an accidental sin. There are accidental sins. There are sins of omission that we simply overlook. This is not that kind of sin. This is a sin of commission. This is a sin of rebellion. The man knows what he is doing. The man knows that he is to submit to his elders. The man knows that he is not to cause division within a church. He knows that he is to subject himself to scripture. He knows all these things, yet pursues his divisive ways anyway. So that's the second reason why uh, the church is justified in putting the man out and rejecting him. He's a, He's just in bold faced rebellion and he needs to be put out to, to bring him, uh, hopefully, bring him to repentance and to protect the church. And the third reason that Paul lays out there in verse 11 is that he is self condemned. The man is self condemned. So um, keep in mind when when Paul says he's self condemned, it's not that the man actually admits this, at least in public. Paul is envisioning a, a the bar of God's justice and before God, the man would say, yeah, I did all those things. Remember that no one's going to stand before God and give any kind of justif- justification for why they did things. They're just going to, before his judgment, if they're not forgiven in Christ, they're just going to have to say, yeah, I'm guilty of all those things. And if they're in Christ, they'll say, yeah, I'm guilty, but Christ paid the price. But in any case, Paul's point is the man is self-condemned. Um. He may vigorously depend, uh, defend his his uh, uh, the rightness of what he is doing. He might defend his actions, but if he has any level of objectivity, he would admit that he is getting what he deserves. So this is really the principle of reaping what you sow. It's found throughout the scriptures. The factious man has thus far disregarded two warnings and thus brings judgment upon himself for his actions. Right? So it's he is reaping what he has sown. Um. So what the, what the man is doing is just disregarding all the warning signs and proceeding in the course of life that is very dangerous to him, to the church, and so he needs to be put out. And hence he he's reaping what he sowed. So just off the square, uh, just south of the square, I was driving the other day down down three, and on the right side, uh, there's a uh, one of his older buildings, multi-story that has. Tape all around it, this big pink sign on it, and they've condemned it. It's an unsafe building. So, so just think about that building, and think about someone who might be walking by and decide, you know, I think I'd like to see the inside of that building. So they walk past the bright tape that says "condemned, stay out," and then they have to walk by the bright pink. I mean, it's bright, fluorescent pink that says this building's been condemned. They have to go by that too. And assuming they could get in, but as they began to walk up the steps, suppose those steps were were just decrepit, and as he got up about halfway of the flight of steps, the whole staircase came down under his weight. What would you say to him, dummy? Didn't you see the signs? You know that, that that's what that's what Titus is is being told by Paul. It, that, that's what self condemned means. It's like did, you were warned. In fact, you were warned twice. And generally, it's not, you know, there's two warnings mentioned, but generally, in the grace of God, there's, the guy has more warnings than that. But it's like, you're just self-condemned. You did this to yourself. The church must put you out, and it's the church that's putting you out, but you brought them to this place where they had to deal with it. So that's what Paul is saying. So I understand that This isn't an easy process. um, But the man has brought it completely upon himself. We need, as a church, to be loving and kind, to adhere to the truth, but also be full of grace. Protect the church, protecting the unity of the church. We need to ask God to help us not be a divisive person. Very easy. Because of sin, very easy to do that. Putting our own opinions um, the same level of scripture or our preferences or even our convictions I've seen people's convictions cause division within a church you're convicted about how you need to apply a certain passage and if everybody doesn't have your same conviction you know you kind of look down upon them or or see them as a sub-tier Christian compared to you so there's there's dangers that we need to be aware of but guarding ourselves from becoming factious people and and guarding the flock from that lessons here for us be teachable Be instructable. Someone points something out, they might be right. They might not be right. But just receive it with humility and take it to the Lord. A good way to respond that MacArthur has always, um, I've heard him say multiple times, he counseled men in training for ministry to do it. When someone criticizes you, um, you just just say, thank you, and would you please pray for me? Humbly receive it. It's not a time for self-defense. Uh, that's what you want to do. In your flesh, you want to you want to give a defense for yourself, but it's not wise. Just receive it, listen, take it to the Lord in prayer and see what's what's accurate. The rest of the story of Gariezo isn't pretty. When concerns and warnings were given to him by the church he was in at the time, which was Grace Community Church, found in California, he left to go to another. Rather than stay where elders who loved him and cared for him could help sharpen his thinking and and help him turn from things that he was teaching that were causing division within the church, he chose to walk away. And he went to another church and did the same thing. And that second church ended up going through the entire process of church discipline with him. Before they could complete the process, Gary left to go elsewhere and cause divisions there. We can't control the factious man and where he goes. But we must certainly warn and reject him so long as he is in our church. And we have to, at times we may even have to warn other churches. If a factious man leaves our church to go to another, I will warn that church um, about who he is. Because that's only right to do that. Um, And what that church does with it is their business. I'm not going to interfere with their church. But I will let the pastor know. That the man, the divisive man, has has, uh, or the man has been divisive in our church, and to be on guard against him. But, uh, but we do all this to honor our Lord, to protect the church, and to protect it from sin and to protect from false teachers. And again, this isn't fun uh, to do, but it's what our Lord calls us to do, and it helps us to stay focused on the things we are supposed to be doing, the things which are good and profitable, which is to be careful to be engaged in good deeds, the thing that God wants us to do. And I would, I would even say that the good deed, when those factious people come, a good deed is dealing with them in a way that honors the Lord. That becomes one of the good deeds that he calls us to do. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Lord, we are so thankful that you rescue the divisive, that you rescue the factious, because at one point that's that really describes all of us. We were all rebellious against you, in a in a divided state of mind against you, wanting to go our own way. And yet in your steadfast love you reached down to us to to help us understand the gospel, to help us understand that Christ died for us even while we were yet enemies of the cross, while we were sinners, helpless. Oh God, help us to just to, to live our lives in light of that, in, a, in obedience to you and for your glory. And when that time comes when a factious person is identified or within our minds, help us to to um, warn them in a way that's just full of the fruits of the, of the Spirit that is done lovingly yet firmly, but in a way that is redemptive. And if we have to put the person out, help us also to do that in a redemptive way where You're glorified, and if a casual witness or third party were witnessing all the events, that they would um, judge that justice has been done, that that God has been honored. or Just work in our lives to draw us to yourself, uh, knowing you in better and closer ways. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.